Welcome to the Premium Sermon Podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Thanks for supporting World Evangelism with your premium subscription, and enjoy today's sermon. show him many different roles and aspects and dynamics of the family. We show him uh, wives, husbands, parents, children, brothers, sisters, extended families. We show him all these things. Perhaps we show him what functional and dysfunctional looks like. <laughs> and, and so, but, uh, but he wants to know more specific information. What does it take for a family to really work well together? So, we show him two specific families. The first family we show him is, uh, is a wealthy family residing in Beverly Hills, California. Uh, the parents present their children with keys to new beamers on their 16th birthdays. Uh, they engage a small army of housekeepers and gardeners to make sure the children are free from having any household chores. The children address their parents by their first names rather than mom and dad, and they receive lavish allowances with very little supervision and few rules. The second family lives in a small town near Nashville, Tennessee. Each child carries the responsibility for some aspect of the family's smooth operation. Each child also has a job outside of school and is expected to say, Yes, sir, or no, ma'am, to his parents. The family attends church every Sunday together, and they uh, have dinner uh, as a family every night, and so dinner is a family occasion. The children take turns mowing the lawn and tending to the flower garden. So we show this alien these two families, and he looks very confused. Why did you show me these two families? So we ask him, uh, based on what you've seen, which set of parents is more likely to raise children with an enduring respect for parents and siblings? Which, and which set of children are more likely to grow up into young adults who will endlessly complain to expensive therapists about how their parents ruin their lives? So our alien friend looks and thinks for a while. And he concludes that it must be the parents who gave so much to their children, asking nothing in return, were surely the parents who would enjoy enduring gratitude and honor from their children. What do you think? Is he right? I want to look with you at a scripture in uh, John chapter 6, verse 25 through 35. So uh, let me set this up for you a little. Who's ever heard of, the, uh, of Jesus feeding the 5,000? You ever heard of that? Okay. So in this scripture, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And this is now the next day. So the 5,000, uh, it was actually more than 5,000. It was more like 5,000 families, okay? 
So there was probably more like 10 or even 15,000 people that he fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. It's a great, great miracle. So the next day, after he feeds them, they go looking for him. So we pick it up in verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus, answered, uh, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we come before you this morning, God, with open hearts, God, with open ears, God. I pray that you would teach us from your word, God. God, use my life, God. Use me to preach what you want to say, God. I have no confidence in my own ability, God. I'm trusting in you, God, that you would move upon every heart in this place, every life, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the, The title of this sermon is Free Stuff and bound souls. So we want to uh, first look at the first point, which I've entitled, we have a word for those kind of people. So we often hear that Jesus uh, has done this miracle of feeding the 5,000, and it's such an awesome miracle that that a lot of times we stop right there. He fed the 5,000. Oh, it was amazing. But we often forget that he had a confrontation with them the very next day. Same people. So this exchange between Jesus and the 5,000 is very telling, and it's applicable to us today. Let me ask you, we got Thanksgiving coming up. Have you ever had a, like a really, really good meal, and you were so full, right? You were so full that you fell asleep. You got the itis, right? And you just, and it puts you to sleep, right? And then the next day, you wake up, and you're hungry again. You're not just hungry, you're like, man, I'm so hungry. And you just had like a, an amazing meal the night before. Why does that happen? Why, why, why isn't it like you eat Thanksgiving dinner and then you're good for like a week, you don't have to eat at all? I mean, the amount of calories we consume, we should be good, for a, but we're not. As a matter of fact, I, I've been reading that, uh, that this new phenomenon uh, after Thanksgiving has been popping up where people make after Thanksgiving breakfast. So what they do is they take the leftovers, they take the stuffing and the mashed potatoes and the turkey and yams and whatever else, and they mash them up into like a batter. Then they put them in the waffle irons. And they have the next day waffles, the Black Friday waffles, right? (laughs) 
Why? You just ate 8,000 calories the night before. You're going to... Anyway, I'll let you know what they taste like. So, um, <laughs> so uh, anyway. <laughs> but the next day, after he feeds 5,000 people with leftovers, remember they had baskets full of leftovers, they go looking for him again. Now, why did they go looking for him? Were they seeking more spiritual truth from him? Were they like, Jesus, you are awesome. You've got the words of life. We want to hear more. We, we want another sermon. Just start preaching right now, Jesus. I wish I could say that was the case, but no. Jesus, do you know he can see your hearts? He can see our hearts. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the hearts. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So Jesus, who can see their hearts, tells them the reason they came looking for him is not because they wanted another sermon. It wasn't even because they wanted to tell him how impressed they were with the miracle they saw yesterday, and now they're convinced that he must be the Savior. You must be the Messiah. You must be the Son of God. That is not why they came looking for him. He tells them, the reason you came looking for me is because you want another freebie. Jesus answered, verse 26, said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. We have a word for these kinds of people. You know what it is? Freeloaders. (laughs) Jesus seems repulsed by this. He's he's repulsed by their freeloading mentality. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with this term, the Cambridge Dictionary defines freeloaders as, uh, defines a freeloader as a person who uses money, food, a room in a house, etc., given by other people, but who gives nothing to them in exchange. Know any freeloaders? How do you feel in general about freeloading? Every, we all know them. We all know one or two, right? Five. <laughs> you like them? You like hanging around with, with freeloaders? <laughs> Yale, the, the Ivy League school, Yale, published an article this past July called Even Four-Year-Olds Dislike Freeloaders. Here's an excerpt from this article. Children as young as four express dislike and are willing to punish those who freeload off the work of other group members. A new Yale University study has found. Did they really need a study to tell them this? But kids also make a clear distinction between those who freeload intentionally and those who have a good reason why they can't contribute. Yarrow Dunham and Fan Yang, a Yale postdoc, designed a series of experiments to determine whether the very young who by definition are not contributing members of a group, uh, why, they, why they share this feeling about freeloaders. Children from ages 4 to 10 were presented with scenarios in which they had to give up chocolates in order to get a cake or plant seeds in a garden to get tomatoes. All children expressed dislike for those who did not contribute and were even willing to give up stickers to punish them. 
This is great. The youngest subjects exhibited a stronger aversion to free riders than the 9 and 10-year-olds. The younger they were, the more they didn't like the freeloaders. However, when a freeloader has a good excuse for not contributing, for example, her pet ate her chocolate, <laughs> the aversion was greatly reduced, the researchers reported. Even young children expect cooperation and are willing to work to sustain it even at a cost to themselves, one researcher said. Children are wise. Amen. You ever hear that term, out of the mouth of babes? This is why Jesus said uh, that we should make ourselves like children. He said, don't, don't, don't stop the children. You know what? You want to be greatest in the kingdom of God? Make yourself like one of these children. We think, oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Children don't like freeloaders. That's one of the things <laughs> that we just need to make ourselves like. <laughs> so next I want to look with you at the source of freeloading. So we understand that it's not a good thing, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty common sense. Freeloading is not a good thing. But let me ask you, where does it come from? Where does this need to, to freeload off somebody else come from? Well, Here's the thing, once you've been the recipient, the recipient of someone else's generosity, it can quickly become addictive. It really can. To continue to be a recipient, you have to convince yourself that you are lacking in some way, even if you're not. So Jesus said in Mark 14, 7, the poor you'll have with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. Just a side note here, there is less poverty in the world today than at any time in recorded history. But if Jesus knows everything, and he does, and he said that there will always be poor people, we can be sure that he's right no matter how good things get around us, right? So if we know that there will always be poor people, then it's easy to begin to count ourselves among them. All you have to do is convince yourself that you have some kind of lack. Anything in your life, you have some kind of, there's, there's something that you don't have that somebody else has. Don't have a job, I'm poor. Don't have, have a job, but it doesn't pay very well, I'm poor. No car, poor. Have a car, but it breaks down all the time. Poor. Can't pay a bill or several bills. I must be poor. Don't have the clothes you want. Poor. Right? We, we can do that. We can convince ourselves this way. Of course, we don't say, I'm poor. We say, I'm broke. <laughs> now, if you've ever been on a missions trip outside the U.S., let me tell you, you've seen some real, real poverty. It makes poverty here look like Palm Springs vacation. But we have very low standards when it comes to declaring ourselves poor and in need of somebody else's generosity. So by doing this, you're almost guaranteed to be the recipient of somebody else's generosity, especially if that someone is actually the government. 
They're very willing. Let me tell you, they are very willing to count you among the poor. They, they would love for you to be among the poor always. You know why? You know why? November 6th is voting day. Remember who's been, who's been uh, donating to you. Remember the people in power who pushed for you. For, okay, I'm just saying. Okay, don't, don't kill me. <laughs> so I picked up this uh, very interesting article from a website called Urban Intellectuals. And so I just have to give a caveat here. This site claims to have a suite of historical education products designed to teach this and the next generation about the greatness of black people. This is the site I picked this up from. But it's a very, very well-written and interesting article. And, uh, and uh, the article I read on this site is Seven Symptoms of Poverty Mentality. Here are the first three. Number one, the majority of your spare time, money, and focus is fixed on entertainment. It says, did you see that game? Did you catch scandal last night? If you find yourself asking these questions, often you may be a victim of poverty mentality. Of course, we all deserve to treat ourselves to nice things because we work for them and life should be pleasurable. However, when you focus solely on the pleasures in life, acquiring things, laughing with friends and reaching your quote-unquote high through any means necessary, you take away from the time and money you could use to learn a new skill or upgrade your lifestyle by investing in yourself and taking the risks necessary to leave the world of poverty behind. Number two, you receive government assistance and don't plan to stop. Ouch. Government assistance was created to assist people during hard times. It was not intended as a form of income to base your household needs on. If you and your family are dependent on food stamps or welfare or SSI or SSDI, please figure out a way to get off them as soon as possible. From my research, those who receive these type of so-called benefits usually lower their earning potential in favor of receiving what is free and easy. Government assistance is a trap. It's a trap. It requires you that you remain at low income level to continue receiving it. Now, let me just caveat that by saying there are people, even people I know, who really do need to be on public assistance, okay? However, very few of them. And I would prefer, honestly, that the church or local charities take care of those needs vice the government. Number three, you daydream about winning the lottery. <laughs> we were driving down to, uh, we were driving back from Texas and I saw the Mega Millions was up to $1.6 billion. <laughs> they can't even call it the Mega Millions, they got to call it the, the billions, you know. And then one guy won it. I said, oh, poor guy. <laughs> It says, uh, if you took the time to calculate how much money you have spent on lottery tickets, you would probably faint. If you spend $10 a week on lottery tickets, that's $520 a year that you've wasted, hoping for that one shot at easy money. It's a lost cause that simply because, it's a lost cause simply because even if you did win, 
You have not developed the skills necessary to grow your money into a nest egg that could change your financial future of you and your entire family. When you buy a lottery ticket, this is great. When you buy a lottery ticket, you are essentially standing by the lake hoping for a fish to jump in your hand. (laughs) Even if it does, once it's gone, you'll be hungry again. Are you going to try every day hoping you'll be fed by lady luck? Or are you going to get your butt out there and learn how to fish? I'm just telling you what the article says, folks. But listen, it's interesting that all three of these points are found in Jesus' exchange with the 5,000. Listen to this. Number one, they're focused on entertainment. They said in verse 30, they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe in you? What work will you do? Did these people forget that just yesterday he fed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish? Yesterday. And here they are. Entertain us and then we'll believe. Careful. We can be guilty of the same thing. Jesus, give me another sign. I just need one more sign. I want to be entertained. I forgot whether you already did a whole ton of miracles in my life. Give me, give me one more or I'm out of here. Number two, the 5,000 are on public assistance from Jesus. And they don't intend to get off it. Verse 34, Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. (laughs) And you know what? In those days, having an endless supply of food was like winning the lottery today. You didn't have to worry about food. You didn't have to worry about anything. Food was hard to get back then. Hard. Talking about you... You couldn't go to the store and and there was shelves full of, you know, Doritos. (laughs) It was like winning the lottery. Feeding them, just nonstop. Of course they're going to follow him. Now look, I've been on government assistance before myself. I recall, uh, my, my wife will remember this no doubt. We were in a WIC office one time. If you don't know what that is, it's, uh, it's help for uh, uh, young families uh, for uh, things like formula, baby formula. Oh, gosh, what, are they, what else do they give? Milk, eggs, tuna, peanut butter. I <laughs> oh, see, see, we all know. Oh, they also give this and this. <laughs> but we're sitting there in the WIC office. This is, um, this is gosh, nine, ten years ago now. And... Uh, we're sitting next to this lady, and she says, I wish they'd just hurry up and give me my check. It made us sick. It, it really did. We, we, it made us nauseous. We, <laughs> we decided right then that we're getting out of here, and we're never getting back on this, and we haven't. But um, just in case you're curious, here's the other four symptoms of poverty mentality. Number four, you have to have all the latest trends. 
Did you buy that $120 Kanye West t-shirt? Don't lie. Are you carrying around a purse that costs more than your car note? <laughs> Why? Yes, we like and deserve nice things, but if you want to get rid of the symptoms of a poverty mentality, you must understand that the things you acquire as a result of your wealth or abundance mean nothing compared to the lessons you learned while you were creating it. Whatever you believe is valuable will be. Number five, you won't invest in yourself. You'll spend $2,000 on a cruise to the Bahamas, but you won't take a specialization course in your field that will add an extra $5,000 to your annual earnings. You'll splurge on drinks for all your friends, but you won't place that business management, uh, but you will place that business management book back on the shelf because it costs $25. And you figure you can find all that same information online, but you never do. This is an interesting one. Number six, you view sex as a leisure activity. You can't go around having sex with people just because you're bored or can't afford anything else to do. <laughs> the number one reason why low-income families are so large is, drum roll please, says it in the article, drum roll please, they cannot afford any other leisure activities, so they use sex as a substitute for traveling, going to the movies, going to plays, etc. Incredible, right? <laughs> now here's uh, the last one, number seven. Uh, you rallied alongside the 99%. Now, if you don't remember what that is, years ago, th this article was actually written in 2013 while, while uh, President Obama was in office. There was a movement called the Occupy Wall Street movement, and they had a chant, we are the 99. The, in, in other words, there's the 1%, the millionaires and billionaires, and then there's the 99, the rest of us. Right? So, so... This says you might have poverty mentality if you rallied alongside the 99%. <laughs> when the 99% Occupy Wall Street movement geared up, did you sympathize with their plight? Did you become angry at corporations and the wealthy elite because they own everything and you don't? Well, that was a definite indication that you are mentally aligned with the lower class <laughs> instead of being mentally aligned with the elite. Wow. I read that, I said, oh my gosh, wow. You know, another way of saying this, instead of saying poverty mentality, another way you could call this is entitlement philosophy. I deserve this. The world owes me a living. Now look, this is not something new. This has been a problem going back to Cain and Abel, right? When God, God respected Abel's offering but didn't respect Cain's, Cain got a little upset, right? But this is especially a problem now for the current millennial generation. Forbes magazine published an article regarding entitlement mentality in the workplace, and they, they identified several problems that stem from it. Entitled people are more likely to demand higher pay because they believe they're worth more than their counterparts for no objective reason and may demand a higher salary accordingly. Break rules, they aren't afraid to deviate from the norms because they believe they're special. They want special privileges because uh, they'll ask for special privileges that others don't get because they believe themselves to be superior. 
and they'll act selfishly. They'll put themselves above their company and their coworkers. But wait, there's more. Entitlement typically leads to chronic disappointment. Chronic disappointment. You feel like you deserve certain things, whether tangible or intangible. Yet, you never get them. So, you always leave a situation with unmet expectations. You ever met anybody like that? People then feel frustrated, unhappy, and overall disappointed with life, and they cope with this by blaming others rather than themselves to continue feeling that it's the environment that's responsible for their disappointment. Over time, this can lead to clinical depression and isolation. Interestingly enough, when Jesus told the 5,000 that they should seek him for who he is, not just for the free food he can provide, they became disappointed. Verse 41, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread of life which came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it he says, I've come down from heaven? What was the end result? They're disappointed. They they come to him for more free food, and he says, tell you what, you want some more food? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said, my flesh is meat, my blood is drink. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now, at that point, you know, if, if, this, were, if this were, you know, us, and we, and we dealt with these, with these freeloaders with some hard words like Jesus did, and they all turned around and walked away, we'd say, wait, 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 <laughs> come back. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll soften my tone so you guys will still follow me, right? But Jesus didn't do that. He, he didn't even mind that they left. As a matter of fact, verse 67, it says, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you also going to go? <laughs> Let me ask you, what about you this morning? Are you entitled? Are you constantly disappointed? Do you look forward to the next movie TV show, Facebook video, tweet, Instagram post to get you through your day? That's all you're looking forward to? Do you have poverty mentality? Are you mostly interested in material things like food and fashion? Are you repulsed by spiritual things? That's that's what happened here with with Jesus and the 5,000. He began to deal with them about spiritual things, and they said, whoa, 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 whoa. Give us some entertainment. Give us some food. But we don't want to hear this about eat your flesh and drink your blood. We don't want to hear that. Are you a freeloader? Let me ask you, do you seek out people that will continually provide meals, rides, money, a place to stay, and then when they don't, you get mad at them? You see, entitlement, poverty spirit, and freeloading, they're actually just symptoms of something deeper. And you know what that something is? It's unbelief. 
you don't actually believe God. I want to look lastly with you at a freedom from freeloading. And let me warn you now, it's a four-letter word. I should point out right here that it is not only the quote-unquote poor who have entitlement and poverty mentality or are freeloaders. When I went to high school, uh, I transferred, uh, I believe I was telling you all about this the other night, um, I transferred from L.A. City, where I was having a lot of problems. <laughs> uh, my mother taught in a, um, in, a, in, a, in a wealthy school district as a substitute teacher. And so she pulled some strings because she, she said, you know, he's just not doing well where he's at. Maybe if I get him going to this wealthy school, he'll get around wealthy people, <laughs> and that'll change some things. <laughs> well... So I transferred to this rich kid's school, and at my new school, I'm surrounded by these wealthy kids, right? They always had the latest in fashion, I mean, entertainment, technology. They had the cutting edge all the time. I didn't. I was like, I was poor by comparison to these people, right? And it was like they could smell me. You smell that? He's not one of us, you know? By my junior year, I was begging my mom, please get me out of here. I can't stand these people. Why? Well, let me refer you back to the thought experiment from the beginning of the sermon, Rabbi Daniel Lappin's thought experiment. Remember our alien friend who came, and we asked him, which set of parents is more likely to raise children with enduring respect for parents and siblings? And which set of children are more likely to grow up into respectful young adults? who won't complain to expensive therapists about their parents ruining their lives. Now, the alien replied that it must be the parents from Beverly Hills that, are, that would raise the, the good kids, right? Because, look, they've given them everything. They required nothing from them. Of course their children are going to grow up and just be so grateful. Surely the kids in Tennessee whose parents made them work Parents, they're going to they're gonna grow up and resent their parents, right? Look, in my own experience, I witnessed again and again with those rich kids I went to high school with, almost without exception, when their parents handed them the keys to a new car when they were 16, what did they talk about? Come check out my awesome new ride? They complained how lame the car was. How wish, they wished their parents would have got them a better one. Unbelievable. Here I am with no car. <laughs> you don't want it? I'll take your Beamer. <laughs> Give me the keys. <laughs> now, by comparison, when I was living in L.A., we had something called the homeless epidemic going on. The homeless were a significant part of the population, it seemed like. You just go down the street, and there's just shopping carts and homeless people. I mean, they're everywhere, it seemed like. Now, many of the, the homeless people, as you begin to meet them, it was unbelievable. They had the same mentality as the wealthy kids. You try to give them food, they get mad and want money instead. So you give them a quarter, because that's all you got on you, you know, you got pocket change or something. Oh, here, here, here's a quarter. 
They get mad for you being so cheap. How dare you not give me dollars? Okay, well, here, let me, let, me give you, let me give you a couple bucks then. So you give them a couple dollars, they take it, they say nothing, and they walk away. No thank you, no, oh, man, God bless you, man. Just, just take it and walk away. It's unbelievable. And, and you'd be repulsed by it. But you know what? It was the same mentality as the wealthy kid. Now back to the alien. So to answer the, our alien friend, Rabbi Daniel Lappin says, listen, in families where frugality is a fact of life and children are expected to behave like responsible family members and carry their weight, family relationships are far stronger. To illustrate this further, he points something else out. This is very, uh, uh, I would have never put this together. That's why everybody needs a, a, a rabbi. You, you need a rabbi to be able to take you through the Old Testament because, look, us Christians, we read it and go, oh, that's nice, what's that mean? But the Jews, they know what it means. <laughs> they, they know what it means. So, uh, so he illustrates this by pointing out that the creation story in the book of Genesis, you know how many verses it takes for God to describe how the world was nothing and then he created everything? 34 verses. That's it. 34 verses. By contrast, the construction of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, where the Jews built the tabernacle, 176 verses. Now, doesn't that seem a little... <laughs> okay, God created the universe, only took 34 verses to do it. They build a tent, 176 verses. Now... The universe is huge, it's eternal. This tent was like not even as big as this strip mall. And they, they didn't even use it for like, they used it for about 400 years total. So it wasn't eternal. It was a temporary thing they could take down and put up. It's a tent, 176 verses to describe it. Now why is that? Why, why is this important to, to what we're talking about today? Well, uh, Rabbi Lappin explains that the book of Exodus is filled with the Israelites continually complaining and whining. Okay? Sound familiar? Complaining, whining. The more God did for them, the more they grumbled. He took them out of Egypt. They asked why they had to leave Egypt. <laughs> we remember not the chains and the bonds and the whips. and the, We remember the garlic and the leeks. There was a good food there. Right? Right. He splits the Red Sea for them, and they whine about water. <laughs> he feeds them with manna. They demand meat. Now, we're very familiar with this because then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, just constantly complaining. A whole generation had to die off before they could go in the promised land. So we remember all their complaining, but let me ask you something. Did the complaining ever stop? Did they ever stop complaining? Most of us would say, probably not. Actually, yes, it did. When God stopped giving and required the Hebrews to start giving, that was when the complaining stopped. As soon as they were unified in their commitment to construct the tabernacle, their constant complaining ceased. Isn't that interesting? 
As it is with our Father in heaven, so it is with earthly parents. The more they give us, the more we are dissatisfied and the more we grumble. Once we are led to become givers and not just takers, we become much better people, much better people. Now we can understand, uh, now we can understand why the creation story only takes, uh, what is it, 34 verses and the construction of the tabernacle takes 176. It's because we are more impacted by what we do for our Father than by what He does for us. We are also more impacted by what we do for our parents and families than we are than by what they do for us. This is why Jesus told the 5,000, don't labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set a seal on him. Unfortunately, Almost every one of those 5,000 walked away from Jesus that day. He exposed them. They were following him for the wrong reasons. You know, much of the religious world still does that. You ever hear of the prosperity gospel? That's exactly what it is. Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me some more, bless me some more. You ever hear of a guy named John F. Kennedy? <laughs> he had a famous, famous quote. Anybody remember it? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's a great quote, and it applies right here. Don't live under the bondage. Listen, don't live, don't live under the poverty mentality. You don't have to be poor to be under the poverty mentality. You don't have to not have a big bank account or, 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 or you know, have lavish things. It's a, it's a dissatis it's an unbelief in God. It's a dissatisfaction with life because you don't think He's done enough for you. Or you don't think other people have done enough for you. It's bondage. Free stuff to a bound soul. Don't live under entitlement. Don't be a freeloader. Instead, believe God. Believe Jesus. So how are we set free from it? it? Like I told you before, I had to warn you, it's a four-letter word. It's spelled W-O-R-K. You know, that's a bad word for some people. They go, oh, gosh. Don't say that. My sensitive ears. I'm not just talking about working a job, which is a great thing. Get a job. If you can work a job, work a job. But not just on a job, but I'm talking about working for God, serving Him and serving people. When you believe on Jesus, when you truly believe on Him, something changes inside of you. You have a desire to serve Him. That's why when Jesus dealt with these people, the first thing they say is, what sign are you going to show us? We still don't believe. What sign are you going to show us? Give us another sign, another sign, another sign. Yeah, and while you're giving us that sign, how about a, how about a, a nice fish sandwich? Maybe some grape juice? They didn't have, you know, they didn't have soda back then. 
They had like water, milk, grape juice, and pretty much it. They called it wine. You know, Jesus turned water to wine. It was actually more like peach juice. So, so but don't, but don't serve to get some kind of physical, material reward. Serve for an, an eternal and a spiritual reward. We want to go to heaven, we, right? That's still, the, that's still our stated goal here. We want to make heaven our home. So get involved. I tell you, we got, we got a lot of ministry opportunity in the church. You know, there's a lot we can do. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot you can do for Jesus. You might find that you, you begin to believe on, you know what, I'm going to serve you. Jesus, all of a sudden, you, you find that you have this strange desire to go clean the church bathroom. Man, I just want to, give me a toilet brush, man. Yeah. And, and you, suddenly you're taking pride in it, you know. And you come out of there, you know, with your plunger. Man, check that thing out, man. You want to use it? Maybe nursery, Sunday school, leading a, or hosting a Bible study. I mean, endless possibilities. But listen, you'll be impacted profoundly when you serve God. And you'll find that your disappointment, your complaining, even your freeloading, it'll just wither away. And instead, you'll be filled with a desire to, to serve Him. You won't be constantly saying, you know what, Jesus, I just need another sign. You won't constantly be going to people and going, hey, I need another ride, another meal. I need a couple more dollars. I need on and on and on. I'm not saying you shouldn't help people, so don't misunderstand. I'm not saying if you actually legitimately need help, you shouldn't ask. It's not, please don't misunderstand. But, but you're... But your, your mentality won't hinge on, oh, well, they didn't give me a ride. Oh, they didn't give me a, a meal. Uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave now. They don't care about me. See, they didn't give me, I know they've given me 15,000 meals in a row. They didn't give me lunch today. I'm out. You, 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 get, what I'm, you get what I'm saying. Instead, you know what? Jesus, you're, you are who you say you are. You are the Son of God. And, and just, just that, that's really all he asked him to do, right? He, he just asked him, just believe God. Just believe that I am the one he sent. That's it. And even that was too much for him. What? You want us to believe? That's hard work. You believe God. You change the desires of your heart and your, your, your freeloading and your and your entitlement mentality of poverty, be set free from it. Let's bow our heads this morning, close our eyes as we, as we uh, bring this service to a close. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. 
I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks.